Hi, welcome to San Francisco Ballet's Meet the Artist. My name is Tiet Helimetz, and I am a principal dancer at San Francisco Ballet. This podcast series of Meet the Artist interviews is your chance to get to know us, the dancers, musicians, designers, and choreographers at SF Ballet, as we discuss our lives, the process in a studio, performances on stage, and more. Join us for Meet the Artist interviews, live and in person, at the Opera House before Friday and Sunday performances. Or tune in, all season long to hear podcast recordings of San Francisco Ballet's Meet the Artist interviews. Enjoy. Hi, welcome. Welcome everyone today to the Meet the Artist conversation ahead of today's matinee performance. Can't hear me? Can you hear me now? Okay. I'm gonna get, they told me I need to speak like a rock star, so I'm gonna try to do that. Welcome to the Meet the Artist conversation ahead of today's matinee performance. Uh, we're going to be watching a mixed bill of new works for the next At 90 Festival. And I'm here today with Robert Garland, who is the choreographer. Yeah. Delighted to be here with Robert, who is the choreographer of Hafner Symphony, which is the first piece that you'll be seeing today. Robert is Dance Theatre of Harlem's resident choreographer and school director and is now assuming the role of artistic director of the company, which is very exciting. My name is Jessica Cohen. I am a former professional dancer and Broadway actress. I actually trained at the San Francisco Ballet School and was a trainee, so this is a surreal experience to be back in this like home, home feeling theater for me, so it's very special to be here. Um, we're gonna just dive into a conversation and get to know Robert and hear about his artistic process. So to ground ourselves in the conversation, Robert, I'd love for you to tell me a bit about that first spark that led you on this artistic path, this journey, and what was it for you that drew you towards this career? Uh, thank you, Jessica. Uh, I, I would like to give a little bit of Dance Theatre of Harlem information, just so that people know what the connection is. So Dance of Harlem was founded in 1969 by a man named Arthur Mitchell, who was the first black male principal dancer of a major ballet company, and that would be New York City Ballet. He had an illustrious career there under the direction of George Balanchine. And to make the long story short, uh, he was on his way to start a company in Brazil and heard about the assassination of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And uh, said, I, I think I'm gonna go back home and start a school and a company in the neighborhood that uh, nurtured me for all of those years. And so we went back and Dance Theatre of Harlem was formed. Uh, and here we are 53 or 54 years later. The reason I raise that is because uh, San Francisco Ballet is also a, a Balanchine, uh, it, I hate the word spinoff, but, but, but uh, it, it, it is definitely one of the uh, protean children of the Balanchine legacy. So, uh, so that I just wanted to put that information in, uh, contextually in, in, in place for people. What's your question again? <laughs> <laughs> My question is, I'd love to hear about where that first spark began for you that led you on this artistic path. 
You know, uh, my mother was a, a, a piano player in the church, and, and my father was a big, big basketball player. In fact, there was a moment when, actually way back in the 70s, the 76ers, I'm originally from Philadelphia, the 76ers, the Philadelphia 76ers were looking at him as, uh, as possibly playing for them. That never happened. But uh, I've always said that the combination of the physical side of my dad and the music side of my mother sort of sent me on this journey. But really what set me on the journey was a brilliant high school music teacher that I had. His name was Italo Taranta, who I tracked down. He's in a nursing home now in Philadelphia. Just to thank him for giving me my first love, which actually was classical music. That's great. I love hearing about that synergy from your mom and dad of music and physicality. And it draws me towards my question about your choreographic career. Um, the piece that we're going to see today is a really lively, classically derived piece. And it draws from the music. It draws from the classical physicality. What was your first choreographic experience and what was your inspiration to start choreographing? That's such a unique talent. Well, uh, you know, I should say that while I was in Philadelphia, I studied in two places, uh, Pennsylvania Ballet there, which is another Balanchine spinoff in Philadelphia, and also the Philadelphia Dance Company, which was a black modern dance company. And so in, in, in the black modern dance tradition, there is a, a non-narrative dance for dance sake ideal that prevails. Meaning that there are no stories about any swans, it's always about, about the movement itself. And so I'm a Juilliard graduate. After I left Juilliard, I got to Dance City of Harlem to see exactly what this Balanchine thing was about. And lo and behold, it was all about non-narrative dance for dance sake work. And that just thrilled the heck out of me because I believe that music is, is, is at the uh, foundation of everything. Arthur Mitch used to say that music is the, the water that the boat or our boat of dance uh, sits on. And Mr. Balanchine used to say, I want to see the music and hear the dance. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So with your choreographic process. Oh, I'm sorry, let me, yeah. at Juilliard. Yeah. I, I kind of really started at Juilliard. Uh, in fact, you were at Sarasota. There was a woman there, I don't know if you knew, knew her, but her unmarried name was Lisa Denny. Mm -hmm. And her married name is Lisa, she was in education there. Yeah. She just moved. Yeah. Well, I did a solo for her in Julia, at Juilliard, uh, a beautiful solo to um, a section of a piece of music called Iberia. And I think it's Berlioz. Um, but it was my first choreography for the point shoe, actually those wonderful, mechanical, deathly defined things that are off, too often, in my opinion, ignored nowadays in a lot of the choreography. So I'm very big on giving the women and the people that use these devices an opportunity to apply their wares. So, yeah. I love a but point shoe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so would you say with your choreographic process, you start with the music and you layer on top of that? Or what comes first? I definitely start with the music, uh, and it has to be music that's in, most of my classical music is embedded in my history with it. Uh, so the music that you're going to hear today, the Hofner Serenade, 
is a part of a much larger work, a 40-minute work by Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. But I do remember, as a child, buying the cassette of this, a 99, a cassette. I hope everyone knows what that is here. <laughs> okay. A 99-cent uh, cassette uh, with Itzhak Perlman playing the Hofner Serenade. And I remember sitting on my mother's green shag carpeting and being like completely taken away, like a typical like 70s like household and being taken into the world of Mozart, you know? And, um, and so while this festival is dedicated towards the new, I did choose to look backwards a bit because I believe that there's a part of dance that's a little bit of a healing thing as well, particularly after the pandemic. Yeah, I, I wanted to dig into that, how you have pulled from the past and referenced a legacy of dance in this new work. And I'd love to hear more about that and what, mm -hmm. what people can expect to see on stage with some of this old classicism renewed. Yeah. Uh, well, like I said, it's, it's a non-narrative work. So it's dance for dance sake to Mozart. But what, why would you want to do anything else to Mozart is my question. Outside of his own operas. But um, the work is da a dance for dance sake. And I, I am inspired by the work of George Balanchine, uh, his style of ballet, which he labeled neoclassicism. Uh, the reason for that labeling, I should say, is that when he arrived, there was already an American ballet theater. So, uh, and, and actually what convinced him to move to America was uh, jazz music. He was in Paris and he went out to a club and he heard this music. He was like, where is that from? He said, it's from America. It's like, oh, this gentleman, Lincoln Kirstein, just arrived and asked me to start a company over there. He went back to Mr. Kirstein and said, you know, I think I'm going to go to this place. So he goes, comes, he goes and sees the jazz music uptown in Harlem. Yeah. And he gets an idea from the speed and syncopation and creates a new style because he knew that ballet theater was already doing Sleeping Beauty, Swan Lake, Romeo and Juliet, all those things. Anthony Tudor was huge then, you know, so he had to figure out his own thing. And so I kind of put myself in alignment with his idea. The speed and syncopation, particularly in Mozart, uh, it, uh, as I've said in a past interview, is very similar to jazz and hip-hop music in the, in the same ideas. It's actually, in some ways, a little funkier, actually, which you'll hear, <laughs> but a lot of fun, a lot of fun. I'm sorry, I've gone on. No, I love that. I love hearing about uh, Mozart as a funky, having funky rhythms, and I think I heard you reference that you'd drawn on some West African movements, and I'd love for you to describe what people might see and what their influences merged with the classicism of mm. that Balanchine fire. Yeah, you know, um, as Mr. Balanchine was inspired by jazz, I'm inspired by things that come from my own culture. Some of it is West African, some of it is vernacular jazz dancing, which Mr. Balanchine used as well. Uh, in the ballet itself, I, I, one of the, I, I've adopted the entire cast, I'm gonna tell you right now. They're all my children. But um, Esteban Hernandez uh, is a brilliant uh, theatrical animal. <laughs> he knows, and people keep asking me, what do I mean when I say that? And, and sort of what I mean is, you know how Meryl Streep 
can Meryl Streep. Like, there's no other word for it. Well, Esteban Hernandez is like that. And my uh, uh, cast is dancing uh, with him, a young lady who was actually second cast, and now she's jumping in to the first cast, Julia Rowe, uh, is beautiful as well. Um, they have the experience and they have the openness to be able to interpret some of the movements that are less classical. Mm. So, That's great, yeah. Uh, as a former dancer watching the piece, I had I exclaimed to Robert that there were moments where I went, oh wow, oh wow, you know, they're ex as a dancer the opportunity to really flex those classical muscles that you train so hard for. We were talking about yeah. the experience of tuning into that. So I'm curious, what was your relationship towards the dancers that you were nodding to in the creation process? How did they perhaps influence the way you formed this piece? Well, you know, what we did was we sat down and talked about history first. Uh, we were in a studio at San Francisco Ballet, the Christensen studio, and so there were photographs of Lou, and Lou Christensen and his brother all around the room. And so I took a moment, I think I, more than a moment actually, to go to each photograph and let them know what the history is because it's important to me that they know these things. You know, um, we're all big and bad now, but you know, but there was a moment when there was a group of people, the Christensen brothers, who set out to make a company for, oh, I'm getting emotional now, uh-oh, calm down, Mr. Garland. <laughs> but bring it set, on, bring it on. <laughs> they set out to make a ballet company, and, and that's why we're here. You know, and, and, and that to me can never be lost. So I started there, and then from, from there I had, I had them all. You know, they just loved me after that, so. <laughs> That's yeah. really remarkable. That's, it's very special to have set that connected moment. I don't know how many times I experienced that myself as a dancer, just sitting and setting context and building that Yes, absolutely. Foundation. Absolutely, you know, I, I'm, I'm very, very close to uh, Missy Copeland, um, uh, quite by accident. I've known her before she became like the thing that she is now. And, um, and she started late, like I, at 13. But what she found was a history book. It was a ballet theater book that was at the Boys and Girls Club that was sitting in a corner. And she found it and was taken away mm -hmm. to the point where she knew she had to go to New York and dance with that company. You know, um, that, that is what history does. You know, um, I have to say, uh, the outgoing artistic director here, Helgi Tomasin, was a brilliant, brilliant technician. And when I say technician, I mean in the, in the sense that um, there are some people that have a mastery of the technique, the ballet technique. Um, Esteban Hernandez is one of them. And I said to, even said to Helgi the other night, I was like, the only other person that probably could have danced this would be you. And he kind of smiled and paused for a minute. I was hoping he would say, I'll get out there, but no. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's been wonderful getting to know him and the incoming artistic director as well, Tamara, who has quite a bit of history as well. Mm, absolutely. Um, some of what you're speaking to in regards to polling from the past mm -hmm. is reminding me a lot of the big conversation. It feels like the big conversation to me about dance, which is 
where are we headed and how does ballet evolve? How do we have new audiences and create new works, which is what this festival is all about? And so my question is, I'd just love to hear from you, where do you think we need to go for ballet to evolve, for the theater to evolve, for audiences wow. to come with us? The big, big, big idea, the <laughs> humongous idea that like I'm afraid to say out loud. <laughs> I really believe that we as Americans deserve to be supported more by our federal government to make all of this happen. I really do. Thank you. I believe that there needs to be a cabinet level person at, at, that is an arts person that is in charge of that. Because particularly post pandemic, you know, the, 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 the creativity that dance uh, organizations had to come up with in the midst of the pandemic, were, 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 it was extraordinary and wonderful, but there was a large part of it that was risky and scary you know, because we didn't know where we were gonna end up. There was no way, there was a moment when I nor Jessica knew if we'd ever be able to do this again, you know, and I don't wanna forget that, you know, so that is my big, 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 big dream, dream, dream is to have more support mm. from, from all areas, all areas. Yeah. Wow, yeah, I agree and I, I'm curious, I know you referenced in, I believe the video, for the preview for this performance, this idea of making ballet more plural or this pluralism, and I loved that word, and I'd love for you to expand on that a mm -hmm. little bit. What does that mean to you? Well, you know, pluralism is a, I, I, I like it better as a word because, because, you know, sometimes we as Americans can overuse things. So the diversity, equity, and inclusion idea is just so like, we we're already bored with that. Not so sexy anymore. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. we need a new word. We need a new word. Yeah. And, and pluralism is one of those old-fashioned words that is connected actually to the founding of our, our country. You know, the idea that we are a pluralist society, that we, we, we were founded to be that. You know, it didn't happen by accident. You know, but that it was an intentional idea. And so part of... Um, uh, my, my working here is a part of that pluralism. You know, it's not just, you know, a lot of people may go to, oh, let's go find, you know, some more dancers of color for the school or for the company. Well, all that's good, but it needs to be a, 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 an organic kind of um, uh, a natural happening that requires a sensitivity to the moment. You know, um, it's not going to be legislated. It's not going to be figured out. There's no seminar, and trust me, people have tried to do them. The DEI seminars, they're, they, they are, they're good, but they're only a start to what we really need. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that what we're going to see on stage at the matinee today is three very different works with very different voices and perspectives. Yes. It really feels like a ride. You're going to see Hafner Symphony. Um, Resurrection, choreographed by Jamar Roberts. Jamar Roberts, yes. And Madcap by Danielle Rowe. Madcap by my new friend, Danielle Rowe, yes. Yeah, so it's, <laughs> it's just an exquisite experience to see all these voices and works and influenced by different um, choreographers, so it's beautiful. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, I, I do want to allow us to have a moment to take questions from the audience. Oh, we're already there. Okay. Yeah, I know. It's like, <laughs> yes, um, I'm going to repeat the question, by the way, before yes. you answer. Yes, so right here. The question was, what is your vision for Dance Theater of Harlem? Okay, well, there was a moment when, unfortunately, there was no Dance Theater of Harlem company. Uh, we went on a hiatus in 2004, and Arthur Mitchell chose Virginia Johnson to lead, uh, lead the organization to bringing back some form of a company, which she did, and I, I am indebted to her for that work. Um, she did that for about 12 years. Uh, in my future, making a larger company, having a larger footprint, both uh, in New York City and outside, because we've always been a touring company. And for me, reviving some of the audiences that, that we typically had, had when we first started, you know, um, we were always a wonderful, a healthy admixture of a very pluralistic audience. So both people that were, you know, uh, steeped in the ballet idea and, and, and um, environment theatrically, and then completely new people. You know, and so my programming and Dancing with Harlem's programming always had to speak to that. Um, I have often done works that lean more heavily into the African-American experience um, because I feel like that should be part of our legacy as well. You know, so again, just broadening the scope and, uh, of, of the work that we've done. Thank you for that question. Thank you. Yeah. Great question. So which ballet dancer and choreographer had the largest influence on your career? Oh, wow. You know, um, in terms of, if we, if we were to talk about pure art, I would say Mr. Balanchine. I would say Mr. Balanchine as a choreographer. Uh, I grabbed a hold of his legacy and have not let go yet. Some people think, you know, it's a, little, it's a bit extreme with me, but it really is something that's very important to me. Um, and then after that, uh, I would say my former mentor, who is now uh, gone to glory, Arthur Mitchell, you know, is my other inspiration. Uh, he was able to, amidst a lot of very, very challenging moments, I mean, imagine, it was the 1950s, and he was a black male principal of a, of a predominantly white ballet company. So he had some very, very serious things occur during that time. Uh, there's one, uh, if I may tell this story, uh, one story where um, he was asked by the Merv Griffin Show to appear, him and Suzanne Farrell, in the Agon Potida. But they didn't want to show him, so they had to perform the whole Agampada behind a screen and silhouette. And so after that was over, he said, Robert, you know what I did? I went out there, I grabbed Suzanne, and we went out on the stage. We were like, thank you, Mr. Griffin. Thank you for having us. And they scuttled off the stage from that, after that. So, so that is just one of the many moments that I'm indebted to him with of being able to experience that. So... Thank you. I think I can do one last question. We have one minute, so yeah. <laughs> Which uh, choreographers and companies you're most excited about right now? You know, you never know until you're in the house, you know, until you're in the house, you cook the meal, 
you hang out a bit, you know, maybe have a couple cocktails, shoot the breeze. This experience at San Francisco Valley has been that. Uh, I got inside the house. I didn't know what to expect because institutions are different, you know, especially institutions. Because institutions can, for lack of a better description, institution, yeah? And so when I got here and I got inside of the institution and found the warmth, the love of the art form, the dedication of the dancers, it, 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 and I've expressed this to several uh, of the leadership here, it bothers me that more people do not know. Um, we have a very New York-centric, uh, there is a dance media, Dance Magazine, Point Magazine, you know, those guys. Uh, and it's very New York-centric, honestly. You know, um, the beauty that I've experienced out here has been remarkable. Uh, and, and the uh, idea of the institution forging ahead and doing things like this. No one in New York does this. No one. You know, this is very unique, this festival. And so I want to, again, thank Helgi and Tamara for inviting me. And, and I love this place. You know, it is my new home. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, thank you. I think we're, we're going to close now, but I wanted to close with one thing that you shared with me right before we began. It made me laugh. We were talking about evening performances have a certain glamour and a, a glitz to them, but I, I want to let you say what you said about the matinee. I'm not going to take it from you. It was good. No, you can go ahead and say it. <laughs> um, I said as a dancer, you know, there was something so refreshing about a matinee, but it always felt a little bit not as glamorous as an evening performance. And Robert looked at me and he said, the matinee always tells the truth. And I loved that. So here's to the truth. Does. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Jessica. Thank you so much. Thank yes, you, Robert. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for listening to San Francisco Ballet's Meet the Artist. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. To learn more about SF Ballet or to attend in-person Meet the Artist interviews and performances, visit sfballet.org. See you at the ballet.